We are in part 12 of our Empowered Church series, which we're walking through the book of Acts line by line, all right? And I, hopefully this has been a blessing to you. I absolutely love this series. I think that it is life transforming. And in this year, 2023, the year of power, there is no way to see it demonstrated more practically than in this book. So I entitled today's message, The Lightning Rod of Ministry, and we're going to dive into it by first talking about the subject of spiritual warfare. Have you heard of this idea of spiritual warfare? Okay, yeah, many of you have. I usually address this maybe once, twice a year because I think that we always need to be reminded that what we see and engage with in our five senses is not the most real dimension. There is a spiritual dimension that is more real than the physical. How do I know that? Because God dwells there. God is more real than we are. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Because he is the uncaused cause. He is the prime mover. He is the one that has no beginning and he has no end. He has always been. Therefore, we only came into existence later on. We are less real than he is. The Bible describes our life on this planet like a vapor. A vapor is not more real than the true thing. So there is a spiritual dimension that has heavenly beings moving in it that is altering our dimension at all times. And if we too often let our minds get a little lazy and we just think about what we can see, we start allowing our circumstances to dictate our theology. And we need to be very, very careful about that. We're going to be in the book of Acts in a moment, but I would like you to join me by turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. If you're brand new to the Bible, drop it open in the middle. Go to the right. When you start seeing names that seem normal, you are in the New Testament. That's called Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Keep going to the right. 2 Corinthians follows what? 1 Corinthians. All right, praise God. You're going to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. All right? Here we go. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the spiritual dimension. Though we walk here, we engage there. Though we fight a war, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Here's what's intriguing. There is a war being waged in this other dimension that we get caught up in. It's not a war where you go, oh my gosh, it's two superpowers fighting it out. I wonder who's going to win. That was solved a long time ago. We know the ending of the story. Lucifer, a created being, tried to take the throne of God, the uncreated being, and yeah, it didn't go so hot. So that was solved. They were kicked out. They were sent down here, and they've been pretty ticked off ever since, all right? So there's a lot of angry rebels still running around here, but because God allowed them to have this territory for a long time, he was kind of running the show and being a big bully. But when Jesus showed up, things started getting a little tense, right? So let's talk about this for a moment. This other dimension is where our enemies lie. There are three of them, the Bible says. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, we're going to walk through these one by one because these are our only enemies. These are our primary problems. These are our sources of resistance. Because here's the practical question. Why is it so hard to be a Christian? Right? Why is it so hard? If we serve the King of Kings, if we serve the Almighty, and we're children of God, shouldn't our lives be cake? You would think... So why the heck is it so difficult? Man, it seems hard sometimes just to get up, right? And face the day. It's hard sometimes to pray. It's hard sometimes to read the Bible. It's hard sometimes to get to church. I mean, not for you guys, <laughs> but for all those other people, right? Okay. And the reason is we have three 
places of resistance. If you're a note taker, I want you to start writing these down. You're going to write down. We're going to study the first one. The first one is flesh. Just write that down. Flesh. Flesh is the part of us that is not yet submitted to God. It's pulling us in the wrong direction. It's the non-Jesus part of us, right? We are a problem to ourselves. Okay, real quick thought here, quick question. What percentage of your current drama that you're going through did you create? I would say high 90s. Yeah, right? Yeah, it could be financial problems. You jacked that up, right? It could be relational problems. I don't know what your problems are, but y'all started it, right? Okay, because I truly feel like Satan could go on a sabbatical and everything just keeps running the same. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's like, dude, I haven't even been around you, but you're doing a great job. You know, you're like, hey, dude, I'll accuse me. You just go ahead and go on vacation. I'm fine here, all right? So flesh is where we really cause a problem for ourselves. Paul the apostle was like, man, don't you just feel like you're going mad sometimes? You totally get motivated to do things for God, and then you blow it, and then you're like, well, and then sometimes I don't even want to do God's stuff, and then it's like there's this whole tension inside my heart. He's talking about this wrestling with the flesh. When we wrestle with the flesh, we're talking about issues like temptation. You guys have heard this phrase, right? Temptation. It means a pull to do something that is not God's best. Anytime there's a pull to do something that's not God's best, that's what we would call temptation. But I would suggest there's another flesh problem that's probably even bigger than temptation, and that is what? Distraction. Man, as a pastor, I talk to everybody, right? And I'm talking, hey, hey, how you doing in your spiritual life? Which, by the way, no one ever goes crushing it. Because <laughs> right? that would just make us both awkward. Be like, uh, well, I'll give you my name tag. Here you go. I'm not crushing it. <laughs> like, oh, that was awkward. How you doing spiritually? Oh, man, I'm not doing, not doing so hot. Oh, really? Okay. Well, do you have like a smaller community that you're committed to where they kind of back you up and everything? Oh, dude, not really like... Man, I don't got time for that. I got a lot of stuff going on. Oh, okay. So do you attend church regularly? Ah, not so much. I mean, it's kind of hit and miss, like once every five weeks. So do you read the Word of God? Mm, books aren't really my thing. I mean, that's, that's kind of difficult. Well, do you have a prayer life? Prayer, ooh, that's a tough one. You know, and it, you go, okay, so you're really not using any helps whatsoever that God gave you, and you're like, this is difficult. And you're like, well, yeah. And mostly, it's not because we have bad hearts. We are so easily distracted. Man, I got, a, I got bills to pay. I got a family to feed. I got to do this. Got to do that. Got to figure out how to make the most out of life. How to do, you know. And we're just all over the map. But here's the problem. To the enemy, a distracted Christian and a dead Christian are the same. Why? Because as long as you're not messing with his stuff, he does not care. Right? He can't kill you, so he'd much rather distract you. If he could kill you, he would have killed you in the first place. But he's like, hey, as long as you guys aren't doing anything meaningful, great. You guys keep doing what you're doing, right? So when we're going to talk about the, the second piece, let's talk about the devil for a moment. Write this down, the devil. That is the personal, active agent against God in this world. The personal, active agent against God in this world. He's the one angry. He hates God. He's trying to fight against God. And we got caught up in the fight. We didn't start this fight, right? Like when you're born, bullets were whizzing over your head, right? Right when you come out of the womb, Satan's like, I hate you. You're like, dude, I just got here. I didn't even do anything yet. And here's why. He hates God's stuff. Your God stuff. He cannot hurt God, so he does what? He hurts what God loves. If you really want to hurt someone, you go after their kiddos. Does that make sense? So he is like a lion seeking who he may devour. He's here to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But So who's he going after? Who God loves most. And that is his creation and his children. So he is causing all this heat. Well, he's been doing it kind of um, with a lot less limitations for a lot of history, but all of a sudden a new sheriff came in town. 
Jesus shows up on the scene. Now, he's the son of God. Satan knows full well that he's the commander of the army of God. He's very clear that he is the second member of the Trinity. He knows darn well who Jesus is. But Jesus showing up in his territory is a serious problem because Jesus walks in and he's like, hey, dude, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. He's like, what? This is my place. This is my turf. I get, and he's like, no, you don't. The Bible says that the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, came to what? Destroy the works of the devil. How is he doing that? I'm going to give you three things. Write this down. Three ways that Jesus is destroying the works of the devil. Number one, write this down. Giving us the ability to resist and fight back. Giving us the ability to resist and fight back. If you study spiritual warfare in the Bible, you're going to find out that a lot of the passages are just about standing your ground. Why? Because when you are already a child of God and you're already on the territory of God, where do you need to go? Your job is don't let him move you off your spot. Hey, I'm a child of God. He tries to move you by a lie. You don't let him do that. The Bible says resist the devil and what? He will flee from you. In other words, a lot of it is standing, right? But there's also a matter of advancing the kingdom of God and tearing down his strongholds. Therefore, Jesus gave us both defensive elements and offensive elements. The defense is what we call the armor of God. Y'all have heard this phrase before? The armor of God. It says this, take upon you the helmet of salvation, right? What protects you from the top down from a headshot? That is the salvation of Jesus Christ. You put on the breastplate of righteousness, not your righteousness. Jesus's righteousness covers the other kill shot area, which is your heart, right? Shield that down. Your pants stay up and you don't look like an idiot because you have the belt of what? Truth, praise God. You can go somewhere and do something meaningful because your feet are shod by the preparation of the gospel of peace, right? And then what? We are given something called the shield of faith by which we can extinguish all the arrows of the evil one, and which means you hunker down behind faith. Faith is believing God despite circumstances. So what happens is sometimes when Satan is lobbying tons of lies at you, arrows are flying at you really, really hard, and you got your mind twisted up like a pretzel, you hide behind your shield of faith and just whisper, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Over and over again, amen? Got to get back to the basics, get back to simple, right? And just let those arrows fall off that shield, okay? Those are the defenses. But we have two offensive weapons. Do you know what those are? We have what? The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is truth. Because if Satan makes his living off lies, what will counteract that will be truth. You're only going to find truth in the Word of God. When Jesus was in the 40-day temptation period where Satan was trying to, what, kind of uh, deconstruct him, if we might say, he was tempting him and tearing him apart, he, Jesus responded with what? Nope, Bible says. Nope, Bible says. Nope, Bible says. That's how it works. When he comes at you, you know that God doesn't even like you, right? You're like, mm, sorry, dude. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, you do realize that your team isn't going to win. Yeah, I'm going to have to beg to differ. Yeah, so I read Revelation. Yeah, you lose. And then you go, well, you know what? Every time he lobbies something that's a lie, you counter with the truth. You got to know this, right? But we also have another powerful tool, and that's prayer. Prayer demolishes strongholds. You get breakthrough. You intercede. You can not only fight for you, you can fight for other people. You're doing stuff in the spirit that is powerful and effective, the Bible says. So Jesus gave us the ability to not only hold our ground, but as he said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what? The gates of hell will not prevail. How do gates not stand? 
because someone went and ripped them down. That is Christianity. The church is to advance, and wherever there are strongholds in people's lives or in systems, our job is to tear them down. That's key. All right, so the first thing Jesus did to destroy the works of the devil was to give us the ability to resist and to fight back. Second thing, write this down. He bound the strong man. He bound the strong man. You're like, wait, I don't understand what that means. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus told a super weird story. He was getting into a big conversation about how he casts out demons. People are like, oh, you cast out demons by being a demon. He's like, well, that's just dumb. He's like, no, 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 it's by the power of God. They get into this conversation, and then he says this. He's like, hey, if you wanted to rip off some guy, you wanted to steal stuff in his house, but he was way bigger than you, what do you have to do first? Well, you got to tie him up first, then you can steal his stuff. Which, by the way, is a really weird story for Jesus to teach. Everyone's like, is that so? <laughs> They're writing down notes. You're like, he's like, stop writing, right? You're like, well, I want to know how to rip somebody off. Okay, it's very strange. But his whole point was this, the devil's bigger than you. He's faster than you, he's smarter than you, you're never gonna outsmart this guy. So I'll take him, I'll bind him up until I'm ready to get rid of him, but I'm gonna restrict him and limit him, and then I'm gonna let my team go in and start messing with his stuff. Does that make sense? We are the church that now that Satan has been restrained, we now can go out and wreak havoc on the kingdom of the enemy. That's what it means. Number three, write this down. He re removed the death threat. Removed the death threat. If Satan could truly wipe everyone out, he would. He cannot. Why? God says so. Therefore, he has to be a bully. How do bullies operate? They operate off getting you convinced of something that is not true. So they got to get you to buy into the system. And part of how they do that is largely through fear. Fear is a very powerful motivator. So Satan has been a bully through fear since day one. And really, he had some stuff that sounded right so he could manipulate us pretty easily. Here's what he would say. Hey, listen, your sin means you need to die, and you had an eternal sin, so you die eternally. I can kill you right now, and if I kill you, then I'm sending you into eternal torment. You're not going to have any hope at all in this life, because the Bible says if someone sins, someone dies. Now, is he right? Well, yeah, he is right. He's called the accuser because he has something to accuse us about. If he said to God, hey, look at that person right there, they're a sinner. Is he accurate? Absolutely he is. So you go, well, that puts us in a really bad place. So for thousands of years, mankind was being bullied under the threat of eternal death. And then what happened? Jesus showed up. And Jesus said, oh, hold on a second. Yeah, so I'm tired of that narrative. And he died for the sins of the world. That means he died for our sin. And once he dies for our sin, Satan can't double bill. Does that make sense? If it got paid, it's paid, and it was paid once for all. Therefore, Satan has nothing on you. Your record is literally purified. You have nothing that stands against you. The Bible says in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he paid the penalty. It's already been paid. If it's already been paid, it can't be on your record. Amen? Praise God. Yeah? So we find out in Hebrews 2, when he did that, it kind of ruined Satan's game. Because Satan's like, well, you're a, and you go, hold on a second, I was, but I have been washed. Yeah, but you're a, I know, but my Jesus took care of that. It was, it was interesting, there's a, I don't know if it's a real story or, a, or kind of a traditional fake story, but Martin Luther, the reformer, there was a story about him that Satan used to come and, and torment him at night. And he used to knock on his door, 
And, uh, and there, the, the story goes that Satan knocked on his door and said, uh, is this the room of Martin Luther? And he said, no, it's Jesus Christ. And he was kind of like, darn it. I'm at the wrong room, you know. Because he knew he was saying, listen, I've been covered by Christ. It is no longer I who live, but him who lives within me, right? Y'all tracking with that? Okay, so Jesus did this incredible thing about how we interact with the devil. All right, so we got one more enemy that the Bible says it's called the world. Write this down. The world is the portion of people and systems that have bought into an agenda that's out of alignment with God. So it is the portion of people and systems that have bought into an agenda that is not in alignment with God. You're like, oh, I know them, right? Okay, hold on, hold on. We always kind of jump to these like overt things, right? They're like, who's anti-God? <gasps> Satanists. Okay, well, hold on. Satanists are such a tiny group of people, they are not a big problem. You know what the main problem is? Self. Any agenda that is self-designed is anti-God. Now, let this soak in for a moment. Here's what you're going to realize. We're part of the problem. We have been buying into it. We've been funding it. We've been doing everything. Why? You want to talk about anti-God, let's talk about selfishness. Let's talk about how it advances our kingdom, our desires, our agenda. Any of that stuff is anti-God, right? So really, the world is a big mess because you've got a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing, and they're only doing what they know, and they end up being selfish. A vote for self is a vote for anti-God. That's what you need to understand. Understand. That's brutal, right? Because here's the point. Out there, everybody's being used like puppets. And that's not an insult to somebody. I'm just saying, when you don't know, you can get played. You're getting played. Satan is the one pulling the strings. And the reason why this is so important is we keep thinking that people are our enemy. They are not. World flesh devil, none of your neighbor, none of your people at work, none of the people on the other side of the aisle politically, they're not in that list. Why? Because people aren't our problem. And so, I need you to hear this. Uh, if you want to write this down, this is going to be powerful. It might change your life, right? But I need you to hear what I'm about to say. Our job is to dismantle the devil's structures while loving the people in the process. Okay, now that's, that's game changer. Our job is to dismantle the devil's structures while loving the people in the process. How do I know that? Because of 2 Timothy 2.24. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 2.24. This is perhaps one of the most convicting passages, at least for me, right? One of the most convicting passages in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.24, here's what it says, and the Lord's servant, who is the Lord's servant? Us. If you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say you're a believer, this passage applies to you. Now, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. What does quarrelsome mean? You're not allowed to go start fights. You're not allowed to go start arguments. You're not allowed to get up in somebody's grill and start telling them why they're wrong and what's wrong with them and why they're a terrible person. That is not your job. First of all, Satan's really good at it. Stop helping him. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay, you cannot be quarrelsome. Now, the Bible says you need to give a reason for the hope that lies within. The Bible talks about tearing down things that stand up against God. He didn't say tear down people. I need you really to let this soak in because I believe that if we can truly own this passage, we will become a dominating force for the kingdom of God in our region. So let's walk through it. The Lord's servant must not start arguments and fights, but the word says, be kind to everyone. What does everyone mean in Greek? Everyone. everyone. <laughs> yeah, but this one person, stop. I don't know what name you're going to put in there but it's going to be included in everyone. Does that make sense? 
All right, be kind to everyone. He must be or she must be able to teach. That means clearly explain what you are believing. Now, for most of us, that story is simply going to be, I was lost and now I'm found. Okay, we're not interested in everybody getting a doctorate in theology. Tell your story and then simply tell the gospel. My Jesus rescued me and he wants to rescue you. That's it. We don't have to get fancy. Once again, that's not argumentative. That's just personal testimony. If somebody comes at you and they're like, I don't understand why you believe in creationism. I don't know. The Bible tells me though. Well, how does it work? I have no idea. Right? Okay, so here we go. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach. Listen to this next line. It'll blow your mind. Patiently enduring evil. What the heck? Patiently enduring evil? There are some of us that are little justice freaks, right? We rock around. The minute we see something wrong, we're like, they must die. You know, and you're like, okay, bro, calm down. Caffeine's not for you. Right? Like something, you're already too amped. Okay, this whole like justice, justice, I got to attack, got to attack, got to attack. I can't believe they believe that. They said that and this is going on and what's happening here and all this, right? Let me, let me talk about something that's not very controversial. Let's talk about our education system and what's happening in the public schools. All right? Because you don't have any opinions on that. But anyway, Okay, so this is something people get really riled about, right? Oh my gosh, our kids, right? Oh, our kids are in danger and what's going on and here and there, and that's evil. All right, hold up, hold up. Let's say it is. Now what? How do you handle it? Why would you patiently endure evil? Well, I'm just letting them off, letting them off the hook, just let them do what they, hold on, hold on, I didn't say that. You patiently endure evil because when you pray into it and you involve yourself in the process, the Holy Spirit becomes present and starts to separate the junk from the person. It starts to dismantle the system and rescuing the people. Y'all tracking with me? If we end up chasing out bad and lose all the people, it's a loss. You see, we got to dismantle the system, but we need to rescue the people. All those people that you think and have been taught that you're supposed to demonize, that they are evil, hold up. There is evil. They're not it. So what we do is we come in and give the Lord a chance to move. Let him sift and sort. You see, God's word knows how to divide even bone and marrow, right? It knows how to divide soul and spirit. It knows how to get in the nooks and crannies and figure out what part can be redeemed and what part is flat-out garbage. Once that separation can begin to occur, you can pray out the evil and in the person. That's our job. Let's keep moving forward. It says that every believer should be able to correct his opponents with gentleness. Yeah, but they're, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can still correct if it's wrong. I didn't say you can't correct. I just said there's a way to correct, right? Yeah, but you know what they're doing to our kid? Then let's correct it. Let's fix it. But how we're doing it will either make a bigger mess or a better mess. You understand what I'm talking about? So we need to be able to what? correct opponents with gentleness. Now, why should we go through all this work? Isn't it easier to just lash out online? <laughs> they can't see me anyway. I'm safe here, right? That's been our mode, right? Here's why we try so hard, because listen to this next passage. So that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Y'all were trying really hard because Jesus died for your opponent too. You understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, but they believe, yes, but Jesus shed blood for them. You don't get to throw them out. We want them rescued. We don't want them destroyed. Amen? So it says that when Jesus does all this stuff, 
He sets Christians free, which is intriguing because what it really means is he gives them the ability to be free. You're like, well, what's the difference? Well, let me give you an analogy. Let's say, and this is not to trigger anybody, this is, uh, think through it like a proverb or a parable. Let's say, for example, uh, Satan was tormenting us and he was our abuser and he kept us in a cage, chained in a locked cage in a room. Jesus, being the deliverer, comes through, smashes down the door because he heard you call for help. When you call for help and you call for deliverance by Jesus, he's really good at rescuing. So wham, door kicker comes flying in, grabs the door to the cage, rips it open, renders it useless, shatters the chains on your wrist, they fall from it onto the ground, and Jesus says, follow me, and runs out the door. Now, what's interesting is, he meant it. So remember last week in Easter, I was praying for those of us that need to be activated, right? I was talking, because here's the problem. Who the sun sets free will be free indeed, right? Isn't that what the Bible says? But you got to get out of the cage. You are free. You're just not living free. As a matter of fact, because it's familiar, many of us are putting and draping the chains back over our wrists. Now, we can't relock them. They're broken. But we sit in that cage because it's the only thing we've ever known. Now, here's the cute thing about Jesus. After he ran out the room, he waited five minutes. Then he poked his head back around, and he's like, are you coming? And then he goes around the other side. And then he waits another five minutes, and he pokes his head back in and goes, I'm serious, dude. Come on. And then he waits for five minutes. And he po- How long is he going to do that? As long as it takes. That's the love of Jesus hunting you down. He is more concerned about your freedom than you are. And he'll keep whispering freedom, 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 freedom until you follow him out into the light. He did not die on the cross for you to sit in a cage. He died on the cross so that you might walk into the free air and begin to live life. Amen? (laughs) Praise God. So let's close my intro with one last question. Why are Christians so irritating? Right? Fair question. Yes. Why are Christians so irritating? Because here's the interesting thing. Devil hates us. The world hates us. Okay, why? Why? Like, Jesus was like the best guy in the world, and they still hated him. Like, what in the world is going on? Why wouldn't they just ignore us? Well, there's two main reasons. Number one is guilty by association. Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Sorry. Like, I'm just letting you know right now. I I did it perfect, and they still had a problem with me, so they're going to have a problem with you, right? Because you are me. Okay. Second reason is that it's called competing agendas. Competing agendas. Let me give you a story. In Acts chapter 16, we're going to study this in depth later on in the year, but praise the Lord, you're going to forget this sermon and go, oh my gosh, I've never heard that story before. Later on, okay? So I'm going to tell it to you twice. So Paul the Apostle and his crew are doing ministry and they're walking around. And all of a sudden, a demon possessed girl who has been given a demon that can fortune tell, tell the future. She was being used as a slave by people to make money because she could tell people's fortunes and they would make cash off of her. Well, all of a sudden, she starts following Paul's crew around and she starts yelling out really loud phrases. Now, she's actually accurate. Her phrases are stuff like this. Those are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. Okay, now, is that a good, that's true, right? You're like, oh, okay, thanks, weirdo. (laughs) But then she keeps doing it. Right? These are servants of the Most. He's like, oh my gosh, your voice is so irritating. She's like, these are servants. And he's like, oh, wow. Okay, honey, <laughs> I'm about to lose it right now. Okay, you need to calm down. These are servants. Okay, so he, for a couple days, he's trying to be cool, and finally he loses it. He was like, uh-uh, I am not doing this anymore. Get out, wham! And all of a sudden, the demon blows right out of her. And everyone's like, oh, snap. Like, <laughs> what's going to happen, <laughs> right? Like, what? And she's like, oh, shoot. And he's like, that's right, you're quiet. <laughs> and he just walks away. You're like, dude, if you could do that at the beginning, that would have been really nice. 
I'm like, why are you waiting so long? Hey, here's what's interesting. Who said she wanted it gone? You don't ever kick out a demon that somebody's going to invite back in. Why? It's going to be worse. But finally he was like, I don't care. You are on my last nerve. I will knock that demon right out of you. Right? But here's what's interesting. She suddenly can't, what, fortune tell anymore. Now all of a sudden her owners are livid. They start a riot. Why? You just messed with their money. You want to talk about why Christians are so irritating to the world? We're preaching a different agenda. Turn on your TV sometime and watch what are called commercials. I know nobody does that anymore, right? Like nowadays you just DVR it, you just pass by it, or you just watch stuff that doesn't have commercials. Praise the Lord, you got to pay more for that. Anyway, okay, so watch commercials. Watch, watch the agenda that's being sold. What's the agenda? Hey, if you don't have friends, drink our beer. I'm sorry, what's that? What, your beer gets me friends, right? Uh, that sounds awesome. And then all of a sudden a Christian comes up, um, sir, that's not really true. Uh, actually, true community is in Jesus. You know, and they're like, oh gosh, shut up, right? And then all of a sudden they're like, use our product and you will be fulfilled. Um, sir, that's not only, satisfaction is in the Lord's hands. And you know, and he's just like, oh my gosh, you are so irritating. Shut up, right? Like we got our thing going on over here and y'all Christians are messing it up, right? It's very hard to make money when you keep talking about fulfillment in the Lord. Okay, are you guys tracking? That's really irritating, why? Because they're doing what they know and we're making it harder. So they don't like us. Okay, here's what's interesting to me. When we do God's stuff, when we seem like Jesus, do stuff like Jesus, look like Jesus, it automatically makes us a focus of the enemy. What do I mean? The fill in the blank. Ministry makes us a target. Ministry makes us a target. What do I mean by ministry? Anything you do the Jesus style, that's ministry. It will make you a target, right? We're about to watch that happen, played out in real life in the nicest guy you've ever met. Would you turn with me to Acts chapter 6? Acts chapter 6. Let's get into the sermon. Uh, if you can do it quietly, you can call and make your reservations for later. For <laughs> I'm kidding. We'll make this fast. If you're just joining us, see, we picked up this book, Acts, and, and it's really the story of the launch of the early church. So Jesus kicks off the Christian church. Christians are Christ followers. So he says, hey, guys, I want you to go out and I want you to change the world. You're kind of my body. You're going to continue on doing what I was doing. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to light you up just like he lit me up here in the world. You're going to have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to move in signs and wonders. People are going to get saved. Well, boom, the church goes crazy. They have a Jesus revolution. People are getting saved by the dozens. All of a sudden, signs and wonders and miracles and healings and casting of demons. All this stuff is happening. It's getting a bigger movement, bigger movement. All of a sudden, the religious leaders of the day in the Jewish world are like, oh, no. No way. We took out the Jesus guy. There's no way we're going to let this fledgling thing start going. So they've beaten the apostles. They're throwing them in jail. They're threatening them. There's a lot of persecution. The church finally gets a break. Their church starts to grow. They start having a racial tension in their church. They got to get it solved. So they create a new structure of, structure of leadership called the deacons, and they select seven men to lead that team, one of which is Stephen. Look with me at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom. And if you go on, it says they chose Stephen. Go to verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Okay, let's pause. Do you realize that it wasn't just the apostles doing miracles? Did you know that? This is not an apostle. An apostle, we call them the 12. There's actually 13 of them that were that were able to be apostles, because what it means is they were with Jesus from their ministry from the very beginning all the way through. They saw not only his crucifixion, but they saw the risen Lord. He personally, verbally commissioned them to go out with authority. That's what an apostle is. And when you read the early parts of Acts, it'll say, and many miracles were done by the hands of the apostles, and you start going, oh, so only the big dogs did the miracle stuff. That's incorrect. 
This guy is not an apostle. He's a deacon. What do we say deacon means? It means helper guy. So he's regular dude who's helper guy. But he is doing what the Bible says are what? Great signs and wonders. What in the world does that mean? I don't know. But what's better than a sign and wonder? A great sign and wonder. <laughs> right? Like everybody was like, the apostles are doing awesome. And then all of a sudden he comes in they're like, oh, dang, that was great signs and wonders. Right? So this guy's throwing down heavy in the spirit. He is not an apostle, but he is rolling in power. It says that he is full of grace and full of power. The word grace there is the grace that comes from God. It's a free gift that fills your heart with joy and puts a smile on your face. He's got a lot of that. What else is he full of? The Holy Spirit. I love this stuff. It says he's full of power. The word power is the word that we've been using this whole year. 2023 at Bridgeway is what? The year of power. What are we talking about? We're talking about this word right here. The word is dunamis in Greek. Listen to this definition. The supernatural ability to make God stuff happen. That's it. What are we looking for? The supernatural ability to make God stuff happen. You're like, well, I don't know if I'm into the flashy. Hold on. I didn't say it was flashy. Let me ask you a question. Are you able to forgive your abuser? Not without God, you can't. I have not found one thing in Christianity that is more difficult than forgiveness. It's brutal. And there is no way I'm going to do it without the help of God. So I need power in my life just to forgive. I need the supernatural ability to do God stuff. What if you're a parent? Do you really think you know how to raise your children in the Lord the way that he intended them? You don't without God's help. If you do not have the dunamis, the supernatural ability to do God stuff and be that God parent to him, you're in trouble. We need the dunamis in our lives everywhere. I didn't say it had to be flashy. I just said it had to be present. Now, do we need to operate in signs and wonders and miracles? I believe absolutely we do. That's why we're going to continue to pursue those. But that's not the only way it works. Okay? Here we go. It says a problem arose. Look at verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the local synagogue called the synagogue of the freedmen. And there were Cyrenians and Alexandrians and those from Cilicia and Asia. Well, they rose up and disputed with the nicest guy in the world, Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Well, that's a crazy line. What did it just say? So there was a local synagogue in Jerusalem, and it had a bunch of people from outside. Some of them were from what we would call modern, modern Libya. Some were from Alexandria and Egypt. Some were from what we call modern-day Turkey. When it mentions Cilicia, that should pique your interest. Why? That is Saul of Tarsus' home area. He is not Paul the Apostle yet. It is likely this is his crew, his synagogue where he would hang out. Doesn't mean it was him. Just means it was some people that were from his area, probably believed the way he believed. So these guys come together and they start giving grief to Stephen. What are they arguing about? It's probably traditional Judaism versus Messianic Judaism, right? It's the gospel versus how they view things. Because they're like, Jesus isn't the Messiah. And Stephen says, yes, he is. And they said, no, he's not. And he said, yes, he is. And they said, no, he's not. And it kind of goes like that. Well, it ended up kind of getting into a bit of a problem, but notice they can't win the argument. It literally says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Huh. How was he speaking? Well, he was speaking with godly wisdom. He wasn't speaking his own opinion. He was speaking God stuff. Second of all, he was speaking with the lips inflamed by the Holy Spirit. Here's what's interesting to me. What are you and I arguing with? Right? Can you imagine the impact of the church if we went out and we winsomely demolished strongholds with grace, power, and the Holy Spirit? I can tell you right now, 
entire region of greater Sacramento would change almost overnight. But that's not what we've been arguing with, is it? We've been arguing just like everybody else argues. We're not known for our grace and Holy Spirit power. We're known for nastiness. And that's not going to get anyone saved. It says this, well, they couldn't win. They knew if they couldn't win, they had to cheat. Verse 11, then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the leaders and the law experts, and they all came upon Stephen. They grabbed him. They seized him and brought him before their supreme court called the Sanhedrin. They set up false witnesses who said, Stephen never stopped speaking words against the temple, against the law. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth is going to destroy the temple and is going to change everything Moses told us. Is that really what he did? Kind of. And that's the problem. Sometimes the enemy will use a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie and mix them all together. It's hard to figure it out. So some of that is probably accurate, but did he ever blaspheme God? No. Did he ever blaspheme Moses? No. Did he say that one day the temple would be destroyed? Well, Jesus said that. It actually happened in AD 70, about 40 years after the story occurred. Okay, so yeah, it's legit. They didn't like it, but it was true. But it's interesting. It says and they stirred up the people. What does that mean? It means they got everybody riled. Do you know how to rile people? Okay, I'm going to say something that's going to be super unsettling for you from your pastor. You ready? People are extraordinarily easy to manipulate. And you're like, oh, that was comforting. Thank you, cult leader. <laughs> right? It's true. And I'm going to tell you how to do it, right? Kind of like Jesus gave weird things about how to break into somebody's house. I'm going to give you how to rile up people and how to abuse them and manipulate them. All right, here you go. Here's how it works. Find out what they truly love. Find out what they truly like. Find their hot buttons. Demonize the opponent and start using emotional language. What you want to do is you want to create that they're not just arguing an opinion. They're withstanding evil. They are always right. All you got to do is feed into people that they're always right. And if you use enough emotional language, they will get so inflamed, you no longer have to stoke the fire. They will go out and hurt people. It's so easy. You can do it in a heartbeat. Well, they use this, right? How do I know that works? Because that's what's been happening in our media for the last number of decades. Well, y'all got played. It's so easy. You can just move people, right? And they're just, they're just using you as puppets, right? Okay. So all of a sudden, they're doing that. They're riling everybody. Everybody hates Stephen with a passion. And then look at the most powerful line. It's the last one we're going to read. Look at verse 15. It says this. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. <laughs> Dude, it is so hard to fight with an angel face person. Right? Because you're like, I think you're blah, blah, blah. And they're like, hmm. And you're like, I don't know if I want to pet you or punch you. Like, what is, you are confusing me right now. Right? I think you're very cute. I hate you. Right? It's very hard to fight with angel face people. It's, but here's what's interesting. Most Christians don't fight with angel face. We fight with devil face. Which means what? We get really angry and our face contorts and we start to yell. That's easy to fight with because now you know they're the devil because they look like the devil. You understand what I'm talking about? Okay, so Stephen, nicest guy in the world, right? Full of grace and all this stuff. And he's like, mm, and he's sitting there and they're just getting more and more mad, right? But notice he's in the pocket. He's not taking the bait. What, what does it mean to have the face like, an, I don't know, there's some type of peacefulness, there was some types of serenity, there was some type of, of power there, right? When you talk about like, did he glow? I don't know if he glowed or not, but all I'm saying is that he looked different. And how did that happen? Wouldn't that be cool if all of us walked out with the face of an angel and every time we got in an argument, that's what people saw. That would be crazy. That would be like revival time, right? And we're all like, okay, how do I do that? I think there's three things that cause that. Number one, he spent time with God. 
How do I know that? Because when Moses spent time with God, he glowed, literally. When angels spend time with God, they glow. So the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to reflect heaven. Does that make sense? Number two, he knew who he was. He is a child of God. If you're a child of God and your identity is secure, then you don't have to be defensive. Number three, he knew he was on the side of truth. When you're on the side of truth, if you're arguing with someone that truly wants to know truth, they'll eventually end up where you're at. You don't have to argue too long. Why? If they're really seeking truth, they'll eventually end up on Jesus' side. And you go, well, that's not true. I've argued with lots of people, and they didn't end up, they were probably not interested in truth. They were probably just interested in shutting you down. That's a whole different ballgame. That's a different conversation. A lot of conversations and debates are not about the subject. It's a power struggle, right? They're not interested in learning anything about truth. Okay, so here's my point. I think we can all walk with that face if we spend time with God deeply, we know who we are in Jesus, and we know we're on the side of truth. Because then there's no reason to live in reaction. You just live on purpose. And every time somebody comes at you, just like Jesus, they were all in his face when he was being crucified. You remember the trial? How did he act? I got nothing to prove, y'all. What do you want? I'm good. I'm peaceful. I'm fine. And you know what? Hey, listen, I don't agree with your opinion, but I really love you. All of a sudden, people are like, oh, I'm going to punch you. Right? That's what happened to Jesus. You guys, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said, hey, team, I'm going to send you out in a pretty dangerous world. Like, they're going to be like wolves. I need you to be as wise as serpents, as innocent as doves. What was his point? Do not walk around this world naive. Come on, let's be sharp. Think about it. Be intentional with your ministry. Focus on what you need to do, right? We're sharp people. Let's act like it. Let's be strategic. But if you, in your strategy, ever diminish your integrity and lose your purity, you lost. While you're dismantling systems, we're rescuing the people from the very side you're arguing against. Wise, pure, we win. That's how it works. I'm just going to pray an anointing over us and we'll get out of here. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for just letting us hear your word and opening it up to us. So right now, we just ask for a fresh anointing that we're all going back to our areas of influence. Lord, some of us are going back home with family and some are with friends. Some of us, Lord, have work tomorrow. Some of us, uh, God, we have school, to be honest, and that's our main area. So Lord, I just pray that we would go into those environments with the face of an angel, sharp, pure, and ready to rescue while we dismantle systems. We praise all, we pray all of this and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.